Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 161. I'm your host, Blaine Pudney. I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Good afternoon. Matt Smith. Afternoon. And our special guest, Craig Button. How's it going, Craig? Going good. Come on, get right into it. Don't be sitting here like biting your lips and pursing your, pursing your lips. Come on, let's go. I have no idea what you mean, Craig. Oh, yes, you do. You're Listen, I'm the one that uses the line, I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. There's no reason for you to start acting that way. Okay? <laughs> it's not an act. <laughs> no, it is great to have you on the show. We've, we've been looking forward to getting you back for quite some time. And, and yes, we are going to tease a little bit from time to time. <laughs> but uh, we're not going to we're not going to you know destroy over one prediction. If if we were to do that, then everything we said would be destroyed all the time. Yeah. Well, a good friend of mine says this about predictions: it can only be one of two things, right or wrong. There's no, there's no in between the predictions. So, you know what, uh, you know, watching the Canadians uh, all through the season and certainly the start of the year was every reason to what we're seeing right now with the, with the, with the, with the Canadians is, is what we saw in the first three weeks of the season. It was quite impressive. And, and then they went through their roller coaster up, down, and, you know, kind of twisting and turning and with it, the, the Habs fans emotions went with it. And then, after those first four games, I'll, I'll be straightforward with you guys. I was shocked, honestly. I thought Toronto was the better team going into the playoffs, but I, I was quite shocked by uh, how dominant they were in those first four games. But then, you know, when probably sometime in game four, they started to try some different things. But, you know, from that point forward, and, and certainly in game five, there was a path to victory. And they built on that in game six, game seven. They haven't stopped. They haven't stopped in seven games. And, 
you may have heard me say this before uh, in the last 10 days or so, but this Canadians team reminds me a lot of the 2012 LA Kings team. You know, there was, you know, they added Jeff Carter. They had good goaltending depth in their forward group, but they, they, they made some adjustments in their play and they were a bottom seed. They were an eighth seed in the West and they started rolling and there was no stopping them. And, you know, I know there's lots of different comparisons that can be used, but the 2012 Kings, uh, are the one I'm using right now to watch this Canadian team. Now I'm, I'm looking more um, something a little closer. I thought uh, watching the Canadians play the way they have, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Dallas last year. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. You know, th- th- what, what I would say is, is Dallas was a really good defensive team last year. They didn't give up very much. And, you know, and then Hudobin got in the net and, 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 you know, you look at Dallas. I mean, Dallas was an overtime away from losing to the Colorado Avalanche, you know, and that was with the Colorado, with Colorado's third string goalie, Michael Hutchison in the net. So Colorado took it pretty far, but, but you're right. When Dallas started to, to really get their game in order and, and then not just in one area, but in all areas, they became a very difficult team to beat. And uh, certainly I think that that's an, uh, an appropriate comparison, you know, year over year uh, from, from 2020 to 2021. Do you think this Canadians team we see in the playoffs is what Dom Descharmes was trying to put together when he took over as head coach? You know, what's interesting for me is, is I love Dom and I've watched Dom and I think he was more than deserving to be the head. And, and certainly when they started under Dom, I, 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 you can see the things that I, I, I thought that he was going to implement. And then I, I don't know what, I talked to Guy Carbono about this and it was like, we couldn't put our finger on what wasn't working. Like, you know, you could see things that weren't working, but we couldn't really, you know, explain it like you know they they still had all these things that worked in place and then they weren't going in and then it was like from my observations it was like they reverted back to you know okay we're 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 going to shoot the puck at the net and we're going to try to you know score off the rush and you know they became one-dimensional again or, or, or what i would say two not multifaceted and so i like you and that's what was uh confusing for me is as you watch Dom come in and they were they were attacking in different ways and they became a, a multifaceted they took a multifaceted approach to scoring and then it's like they stopped and they and and I, I remember Bob Gainey telling me this when he took over as coach uh back in the when he took over for Dee Carbono ironically he said you sit there and you watch and you have all these ideas how you can uh what you want to do with the team but there's certain things that have been ingrained and it takes some time to, to really un- unwind them. And uh, like, so Dom started, then you're starting to, you know, I don't know, struggles the right way. Now you just say, okay, we're going to play it a little bit safer, but you get into a situation like the Canadians face in game five, where it's damn the torpedoes. Right. And it was at that point. And when you look at how, I mean, they started to get chances off the cycle. They were getting a lot more slot shots and they were getting a puck into the slot area. And now they became not only a good team off the rush, but now they were in zone offense. So, you know, I, like I, I almost think that that's something for Dom to answer, but it, it, it became surprising because you saw signs of it and then you didn't see signs of it. And then, like I said, after those first four games, 
uh, against Toronto, it was like, oh boy, like what's that? four goals in four games? And you know, if it wasn't for Carey Price, I mean, he, I mean, it, it could have been over in four. But you know, Carey Price is a part of the team and significant, as we all know. But you know, I think that, that I guess in a roundabout way, looking through the whole thing, I, I, I think Don's happy <laughs> with the way the team is is taking on this multifaceted approach to scoring and. You know, and I think that it, it is what he wanted. And I think you saw signs of it. If you didn't see signs of it, then when they had their backs up against the wall, they brought it out. It was, it was like a full bloom uh, of, of what he wanted to see. Now, that game five, how much of that, uh, that finally clicking for them kind of plays into the momentum that they've been building? Do you think that, that that's a main, a main piece of what they've gotten so far? You know, one of the things that happens in the playoffs is you know who your opponent is. So, so this year, I mean, Toronto and Montreal played each other so much. So they knew each other very, very well. So what you're trying to do is, is, is try to maximize your strengths. And at the same time, try to, try to limit the other team's strengths. And, you know, in game five, you know, I, I think there was a couple of things that, that really occurred. Dominic got to four defensemen. He just said, you know what, Schrott, Weber, you know, Edmondson, Petrie, you know what, Toronto doesn't want to dump the puck in. So, so you're not going to have to go back and retreat and retrieve all the time for pucks. So he just said, I'm playing my four big defense, right? And then Toronto, you know, Montreal knew exactly what Toronto was going to do. And Toronto never, ever moved out of that. And now here's, here's Dominic, here's the Montreal Canadiens are going, okay, we've got four lines, we're going to roll them we got four defensemen. We're going to roll them. We're going to press up uh, in the neutral zone at the red line and at the blue line. And we're going to put pressure right down to the goal line. And they, and Toronto never adjusted. Toronto never just, how many times do you, I always laugh when I hear this. Well, if we just play our game, your game isn't working. Montreal's game in the first four games wasn't working. Toronto's was, but when Montreal adjusted, and, and, and they really, really took away Toronto's strengths. Now, keep in mind, two of those games went in overtime. I know that. But I thought Montreal had a really good uh, game plan uh, approach and adjusted approach. And I think once they got knowing that it was, the, you know, what, what the stall line was going to do was going to be different than the Cocky and Emmy line, which was going to be different than Deneau. And, and everybody was contributing in a really significant uh, way. And, you know, once you start, you know, having all those pieces come together. I mean, Carey Price had his game in order, but now all those other pieces strengthened up. And when, when, when the pieces become stronger, the whole becomes that much stronger. And I think that's exactly what ended up happening with the Canadians. And certainly, you know, we can look at it. Mark Shifley going out was a big blow to the Winnipeg Jets, but Montreal got stronger as that series went on. They got stronger and stronger. And Dom said, you know, game three was their best game. Well, he wanted to see a little bit more in game four. He did. He got even more out of game four. I mean, that was, I mean, if it's not for Connor Hellebuck, that game's over long before it gets anywhere near uh, overtime. So with the momentum that the Canadians now have going into this series, uh, you know, they were down three, one to the Leafs came back and now they've won seven straight, but we look at the Vegas uh, golden Knights, you know, hard fought series against Minnesota. Then they go down 0-2 against Colorado, and they've won four straight. In your opinion, does any team really have momentum going into the semifinals with uh, with with one with one winning four, one winning seven? 
Okay, so here's a couple of things that I would say. So you're always looking in terms of scouting and evaluating your opponent. And I think Montreal is, is similar in, a, in so many ways to Minnesota, uh, you know, but with much, much better goaltending. And that's not a criticism of Cam Talbot. Okay, that might be the guy at my door. You want to just, can I come back to this real yeah, quick? Just absolutely. Bill yeah. about, we'll come back to that question. Sorry about <laughs> no, that. no problem. <laughs> So that's, we're just happy that Craig Button has given us some of his time. Uh, you'll <laughs> yeah, notice exactly. that he's, he has stepped out now to uh, deal with some personal stuff going on. He's getting some tires changed on his car. Uh, all right. So we can go okay. back. Oh, there he is. Is he coming back? Oh, oh. No, I think he's just. No, he's going to pay the guy. All right. <laughs> well, as, so, as, as we mill about. Um, yes. <laughs> how are you guys doing? <laughs> Oh, doing great but I, i'm just craig's right into it uh yeah. jumped right in yeah. he yeah. and he wanted to tackle that whole first round thing well he knew it was coming yeah. you're not you're not going to go on a montreal podcast and and not know what's coming so yeah. actually it was not planning on really saying much of anything about it no he kind of kind of did it himself <laughs> and that's what i appreciate about craig is that he hey i said what i said and now i'm going to take my licks Let's move forward. Have some fun on. with it. Have some fun with it. Yeah, I'm not exactly going to be uh, eating his lunch over that. I mean, out of the four of us, one of us has a Stanley Cup ring, and it's <laughs> not any any of us here. <laughs> well, so, actually, I do have a Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup ring right here. Yeah, but um, where'd you buy it? It's not. I got it for Christmas. <laughs> I don't think it's real. Um, Nineteen. I don't even know what year it is. <laughs> You know, one in 24 chance. <laughs> one 19, in 24 chance. 1930. Yeah, 1930. So I was Oh, 10 years old. I was minus 44. <laughs> you were 10 years old at the time. All right. Yeah, um, Matt, you, you, didn't, you weren't on the show uh, on, on the weekend because you were oh, unfortunately supposedly not. working. Yeah, saving the Air Force. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you, you listened to the show and you heard us making fun of you. You always do. But I wanted to ask you a question from that show so we can get your two cents on Absolutely. it while we're waiting on, waiting on Craig. The, uh, the Petrie injury, how much of an impact do you think that's going to be? It's going to be massive. You know, we've seen that he's been, he's been skating around with a kind of like an, alter, uh, an alternate glove right now. If, uh, you know, if he can't grip his stick properly, it's going to really take a weapon from the blue line. And, uh, you know, how much pain is he really playing with right now? Who knows? Um, obviously, uh, you know, the playoffs, you get to, you get to play with some bumps and bruises, you know, you got a couple dislocated fingers and you're an offensive minded defenseman. It's really going to hamper your game a little bit, but uh, I'm hoping that he's in tonight. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, he continues to play his game and drives pucks to the net because we know how important he is to this, uh, to this blue line. And he's a big minute eater for this, uh, this Canadian's blue line. Have you ever had dislocated fingers? I, I have, and it hurts. It hurts a hell of a lot. How'd you do it? I it was uh, I was changing I was changing a brake. I was changing a brake on a on a Herc. And oh, I got at it. work. Oh, so you got a, v, yeah. a, v, a Veterans Affairs pension? No, I just sorry guys, it. I sucked it up. <laughs> oh, that's all right, Craig. Okay, do you want me to? Uh, do you have the question? I know what the question is. You want me to just pick it up from there? Yeah, just, yeah, just, just jump in. Okay, yeah. I'll just pick it up from that question. Okay. You know when you. 
like I think the Montreal Canadiens are a lot like the uh, Minnesota Wild, except better goaltending. That's not a knock against Cam Talbot, but Carey Price is that much better. But the way Montreal plays, they they come after you. They come after the front of your net. They defend their net really well. And Minnesota gave Vegas a lot of challenges. Vegas is not very good defending in front of their net. And they're not very good at getting to the other team's front of the net. So when I talk, I mean, Jeff Petrie, who, you know, is obviously uh, a significant part of that blue line, getting him in will be important. But, you know, when you look at that, that four defensemen for Montreal, it's not going to be easy for Vegas to score there. And then you're not going to be able to score a distance on Carey Price. You're just not going to be able to. So I think there's a couple of things that really work into Montreal's favor. Number one, the multifaceted scoring approach. Scoring off the cycle, getting chances off the cycle, getting into the front of the net, the inner slot, all work. You know, Vegas came out of their series versus Minnesota. They got blown out in game one. In, in the last two periods of game two and games three and four, they were phenomenal. They, they, they were really good. But in games five and six, the Colorado Avalanche had those games in control. And, you know, mistakes, five turnovers in the two games really cost them. And Philip Grubauer wasn't very good in game six. So it's like, and, and look, you're looking at the strengths of your team and trying to, you know, get them into the game and get them rolling. And, and Montreal right now has that. I think that if anything, that Colorado showed uh, uh, a path for Montreal that, and Minnesota that can work against Vegas. You know, you know, if you would have said to me at the beginning of the playoffs, you know, where would uh, where would Vegas and Montreal match up? I would say probably not close. I, I think Montreal has every chance to win this series. I, I think their strengths and the way they're playing when you talk about building on their game, because it, it's, it's building in so many critical areas, the defensive play, the offensive play, the power play, the penalty kill, like all these things are all part of the whole thing. And like, you know, and now as, now as they have them all in order, and they can look at what Minnesota did to have success against Vegas and certainly what uh, Colorado did in the last two games after, you know, for eight periods really being outplayed. I think that that's really positive for the Montreal Canadiens. And I, I think the Montreal Canadiens will give the Vegas Golden Knights everything they can handle and more. This is not going to be a walkover uh, by the Vegas Golden Knights. And I, I said it last week. I, I can I can absolutely make a case for Montreal beating Vegas, and it's not a far fetched case. It's a fifty fifty case. But isn't that what it should be at this point in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned exactly. knowing your opponents, and you talked about the cycle game. What would the Canadians have to do to get to get an edge on defensemen like Peter Angelo or uh, or Alec Martinez? So what I would say is it's not just, the, I mean, those two guys are so good. And, and let's not forget about Shea Theodore, because Shea Theodore is a, a phenomenal young defenseman. Anyway, they love to try to push you in, in like, like they love to press up their defense and they have their forwards coming back and try to force the play back into the middle where they can come through with speed. So to me, what Montreal has to do is play the game down the wall. They got to, they got to get the puck, behind those defensemen. They, and if you're going to try to make lateral passes in the, in, the, in the offensive zone, Vegas is just waiting to pick those off. They're waiting to pick those off and they're going the other way. You know, so you've got to be really, really sharp in not playing uh, to, to Vegas' strengths. And 
I don't think there's any better example than what the New York Islanders did yesterday versus on, on Sunday, rather in game one, what they did against Tampa Bay. And Barry Trotz said, like, you know, discipline, making the right decisions. And if you want to, and like I said about Colorado, Colorado, five turnovers just fed right into the Vegas Golden Knights game. And Vegas did, did not even come close to overwhelming uh, Colorado in those last two games. So when, when you get the puck down in, in, into the, into Vegas's zone, play below the dots and, you know, just keep pushing the puck down there. And Montreal, they did it against Toronto. They just kept pressing their defensemen down at the blue line, coming in, obviously support through the middle of the ice. Well, now you can't get out of your zone. So I think it's twofold. Number one, play the game below the dots in the offensive zone. Don't try to make those, those lateral plays. Don't try to make hope plays from below the goal line. It's just going to feed their transition. And when you're in your own zone and coming out of your own zone in transition, play it north-south. Don't play it east-west because they're just waiting for you to go east-west. And they put a lot of pressure on you to force you there. Just keep playing for the next play. Keep playing for the next play. And I think they can I – th- I love Braden McNabb. He's a hard-nosed, aggressive defenseman. He's not, he, but he can be susceptible to speed and quickness. Zach Whitecloud, susceptible to speed and quickness. Nick Holden or, or Nicholas Hay, susceptible to speed and quickness. Get on them. Get on them and make them turn and make them go back because they're not going to – when they can play the game in front of them, any player is going to be better. Turn them around. Make them turn back. Make them have to make plays with – pressure on their backside don't let them move up in the play and you know create the advantages so that's where I think Montreal can have a real bad I mean Mark andre Fleury is, is, has been terrific and I, I would say this about uh, the Vegas Golden Knights ask yourself where they would be without Mark andre Fleury because they could be without Mark andre Fleury if uh, if they could have found a way to make a deal last year but uh, he, he he has been in my view their most valuable player so this sounds to me like a great series for a guy like Josh Anderson to really break out of his little, you know, you're talking north-south and Josh Anderson lives off the drive to the net to score. And really, we haven't seen anything really from Josh Anderson since game one of the Leafs. So now do you know if he's, I don't know if you know if he's hurt or if it's just the way that Canaan style has been playing, but do you think Canadians should use him as their one of their big weapons against against the Vegas? Well, I think that we, we, I don't speculate and I don't know. So I don't know if he's dealing with anything, but you know, when Josh Anderson is playing at his best, there's two things that, that he does exceptionally well. He, he, he's really skating and skating with speed and quickness. And then the power that he possesses comes, it, it, it becomes part of uh, a, a real significant impact in the game. You know, I, I always feel that players like Josh Anderson, the skill is comes after the skating and the power, not before. So don't, the, the skill will be there, but don't let the skill come first. Like, you know, be a power skater, be a power winger, like get in and there. And he, he can be a big factor because on that right side, like when you start to look at Caulfield and you look at Gallagher. So, I'll, you know, I'll take Corey Perry out of this equation right for now. But when, when you look at, Braden McNabb. I can tell you this right now. Braden McNabb is going to try to break Brendan Gallagher and break Cole Caulfield. That's his mentality. That's his mindset. <laughs> That's his DNA. So Josh Anderson can be a real significant player in, 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 in really keeping Braden McNabb kind of uh, 
uh, on level ground. Because trust me, Greg McNabb will take on anybody, but the challenge of taking on a, a, a real powerful Josh Anderson can, can really kind of keep a level playing field. Because that's what Braden's going after. He's he wants to break Gallagher and Cole, Cole Caulfield. Make no mistake about it. So Josh becomes really important, you know, in terms of the rotation, not just in terms of what he brings to the game, but in also how he can take a part of the game that Vegas wants to establish, and and again turnovers, pressure, and everything, and and just keep the opponent off balance. There's no question that a that, that a that a functioning Josh Anderson. Is, is a significant uh, weapon for the Montreal Canadiens in this series. And not just for what he does, but for what he can do uh, to break some of the other, some of the other opponents. Because what Braden McDab does also, he gives Shea Theodore a lot of, a lot of room to roam because <laughs> he closes down the play and everything. But if you can push, keep pushing Braden back and keep making him play, turning, 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 going back for pucks, you now are also limiting Shea Theodore. There's a, there's a, there's a multiple, there's a, there's a multiple layered effect on Josh Anderson's ability to really play, uh, you know, strong in, in, in this series. What about the matchups at center? <clears throat> the uh, Vegas isn't known for its, its big, big name centermen. I mean, Stevenson has done a very good job this season. Uh, Carlson, he has been, he's been solid for them for a couple of years now. But the matchup at center, I mean, the Canadians have Suzuki and Kotkaniemi. They're young, but they have that skill level. What kind of a, what kind of an edge could that possibly give the Canadians? Well, uh, in the Colorado series, you know, they were up against Nathan McKinnon, and they did a pretty good job. Do you know who checked Nathan McKinnon and got him in check? Marsha Show? No. Prayers? Mark Stone. <laughs> They okay. use Mark Stone as a winger to come across and, yeah. and really mark Nathan McKinnon. So we, we talk about the center matchup, right? We talk about the center matchup and, 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 and how it works. Well, they use a different approach. They said, we're, we're going to, we're going to mark uh, McKinnon. We're going to, we're going to use Mark Stone to mark McKinnon, no pun intended. And, and they did a really good job of that, right? William Carlson is a really good player, really good player quietly effective competitive you will not push him out of a game but what William Carlson is so good at is being able to you know play with Riley and uh, Riley Smith and Jonathan Marshall so with pace so they come at you with a real quickness and and, and, and Carlson manages as that as a real good two-way center Chandler Stevenson with Pacioretty on his left and Stone on his right he just does his job and Chandler is a hard hard player hard there's no area of the game where he's not digging in to, to the maximum depth. And so that allows Patchy ready. Like, you know, he doesn't have to do uh, more than he's asked to do. Stone is, is brilliant. Stone's a brilliant player. He can do everything in the game. But Chandler Stevenson allows those guys to, to do different things. He's a great skater and he's a great competitor and he's hard. So now you go down the lineup now, and now you start to look, okay, where, where can you maybe take advantage? Nick Lawa, smart player, not a great skater. So th that to me is, is going to be an area, can you, can you take advantage? And then as you get into the fourth line, I mean, they got William Carrier playing there, depending on what they do with Reeves and Colasar, right? So I think Montreal's depth with the three centermen, Kotke, Nami, Suzuki, and Deneau, can gain an edge 
like in a three versus two setup. And, and, and whoever's going to match up against Nicolas Watt, to me, has to take advantage of him. That, that to me, is where, where – because Stevenson's in, he's in for the long haul. Carlson's in for the long haul. And, I, like I, and, and so that's where I think that you could – and Mark Stone is, is such a good player. And that smith Marcia, so, uh, uh carlson line really sets a – they're kind of the, the, the trio – that sets the tone for Vegas coming out of a goal against they get them out there coming out of a power play or a penalty kill. They try to get them out there to try to reestablish that pace of their game. So I, I would say that you look at the, the matchup on the blue line versus those two uh, versus that line. And that's where the shorter period of time that Jeff Petrie's out, the, the less that that hole can be exposed because it is a hole. There's no way, there's no other way to put it. So does Montreal's best bet is to match Deneau up with Stone as much as they can? Yeah, it, because, well, right now, right, when you start to look at that line, right, you still got Gallagher on his right side, right? So it's it's about really not – I don't think you just put a, a, a centerman on Stone. you got to also have the kind of the layer. Who, who, who's the defenseman you want against Stone? If, if it's me matching up against them, like you got Edmondson and you got Sherratt and, and, and I'm happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to make sure that if it's to out there, that, that's great. But, but Suzuki's a smart, smart, smart player. So, you know, you're going to go through the series and you're going to be trying to figure out, okay, what, what is their strength? Who can take it off? Like Nick has this unbelievable uncanny ability to kind of change pace on you. And, and he makes you, he, he, he corners you. He, he, he's a player that puts you in the bad spots and he does it with it with a brilliant mind and Deneau does it in a different way he does it with 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 real smarts but he's so tenacious and he's so dogged and determined in his approach so I think it's not just one guy you can mix that up but I think when you talk about Stone it's like okay who are you going to match up there against against Stone and, and I think one of the other things that Montreal has established in this series, again, I talk about uh, Vegas not getting to the inner slot. They're not very good at getting to the inner slot of the slot. They, they have skill. Don't make any mistake about it. But they, they, like to, they like to score off the rush, score off a turnover, score off of a little bit out of distance. So that layer up where Montreal really found a real strong uh, play versus Toronto in 5-6-7 in Winnipeg, you know, that layer up, I think that they can really push uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. And that's why I say I don't think it's just one player. I think you got to look at a at a one-two combination of players that can play against those guys, but also that layer behind with the defensemen. And certainly when you look at Mark Stone, you know, Sherratt and Edmondson, no worries there. I don't have any worries about those guys going up against them. You know, one of the one of the guys I think you have to be really careful of here in this series is not letting Marcia So and Riley Smith kind of do their thing. I think you gotta, you know about Stone, you know about Patch already. I talked about Stevenson. Be hard on Riley Smith and Marcia So. Test them. Like, don't let them roam and play to their strengths and everything. If you can do that, now you're now you're you're shrinking their lineup. And as you get deeper into the playoffs, you want to shrink an opponent's lineup. I think Montreal, uh, with a focus on Marcia So and Riley Smith, don't be surprised. Those guys are good players. But if you can push them 
out of their strengths, I think they, you know, you shrink the lineup for Vegas. Your X factors going into the series for either team. Jeff Petrie for Montreal. Like I, if you're going to play with four defensemen, <laughs> you know, yeah, you really do. So it's Jeff Petrie's health, right? Like you, you don't want to be, I mean, obviously you're, you're without Jeff to start the series, but you don't want to be without him. All of a sudden you're down to nothing. If that happens without Jeff, now you got to win four of the next five. That's not easy to do. Now it's not impossible. And I'm not going to sit here, but, but I would say Jeff Petrie's health and not just because of what he brings to the team, but because of how they want to play with those four defensemen. And, you know, you, you can put players up in the lineup and you can, but you, you also uh, understand that with those four that, you know, that really makes life really, really uh, uh, important for, for the Montreal Canadiens. I, I would also say uh, for Montreal, the, the other X factor for Montreal is really being able to, to work Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury right now is playing exceptionally well. And, you know, one of the things Mark Andre does as well as anybody, he, he reacts to the play after the initial play so well. And I, I, I think that Montreal has to be really purposeful in terms of, you know, how you're going to create your chances. And then number two, how you're going to finish on those second opportunities, because Mark Andre Fleury is, is really dialed in. And, you know, that's, that, that's an area where Sean Burke will be relied upon to, try to game plan against uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. So in, in one way for Vegas, I just talked about Marc-Andre Fleury. It, he, he's one X factor. I, I, I think the other X factors are Marcia So and Riley Smith. I really do. Because if, if they're allowed to play and skate and do their thing, they're, they're going to have a chance. Uh, you know, they can go deeper down to score. I think if you can, you know, really keep them out of the game, and conversely, if Vegas can really make them a factor in the game, that's especially with four defense, especially with only three to start, that's going to make, you know, that's going to give you a little bit of an upper hand. So I, I think the plan against Smith and Marcia, so has to start right from game one and up ice pressure, you know, grind on them, you know, up. And that's where, see, that's where I think Deneau can be so good because he's so dogged and he'll recognize where, you know, he has to apply pressure on those guys and, and take them out of their game. And, you know, it doesn't just have to be the center because Carlson is good. But I think if they can establish that early on, I think that Montreal can be in good shape. The next factor I've been hearing about from uh, some Vegas podcasts and writers and pundits is uh, the crowd. Talking about how great the crowd in Vegas is how big it is and how the Canadians aren't going to be used to that. I mean, we're talking about the Montreal Canadians, these guys, <laughs> they know what crowds are like. So how much of a, of a, a non-factor is that X factor? I don't know. Do you, do you think Carey Price is going to be worried about a crowd? Weber's <laughs> going to be worried about a crowd? Like, and I'm not just, I mean, Edmondson's won a Stanley cup. Corey Perry's won a Stanley cup. Eric Stahl's won a Stanley cup. And, there's no bigger crowd than Montreal Canadiens fans. So the, the players have been dealing with this crowd <laughs> for a long, long time. And, you know, hey, listen, you know, uh, the noise in a building and, and, and the enthusiasm of the fans, you know, hey, it's nice and everything, right? But it works for both sides here. And, you know, 
when, when you can work a team and you can continuously push them and keep them, you know, into a state where they can't establish their game, the crowd, what, what are they going to cheer about? They're going to cheer about stale air. They're going to cheer about somebody winning at the, at the props tables. You know what, you know, and teams know that going in, like, you know, you, you hear the term quiet, the crowd, well, quiet, the crowd means we're not going to let, let their team do the things. Again, I'm going to go back to Tampa Bay yesterday on Sunday, game one. The Islanders, they just quieted, they quieted Tampa and then that extended into the crowd. If you, if you want to let them roam and score goals, yeah, guess what? It's going to be pretty loud in there. But uh, if you play your game, I think that Montreal, uh, the crowd, and, and again, like it's one of those things like the crowd, the crowd, the crowd. I've never seen a crowd win a game, ever. For Bergevin, um, so there's Eric Engels put a story out that Bergevin has a three-year contract extension in hand that he hasn't signed yet. Um, with this team that he put together, he made the statement, you have players that get you to the playoffs and players that get you through the playoffs. Is that how he built his team? Because we all screamed, you need a puck-moving defenseman, you need a puck-moving defenseman. But now when we look at the structure of its defense and the playoffs, no one cares about the puck-moving defenseman. Was his game plan going in thinking we're going to make the playoffs? I want this defense to be a playoff defense. Well, one thing I will say is that he 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 signed his uh, puck moving defenseman to a long term contract. The Jeff Petries is is is, mm. is one of the best puck moving defensemen in the league. He is that good. So I understand. I mean, we all look and go, well, what could they use? Could they benefit from this or whatnot? I think that I think if we I think we have to go back to last year. And in, in, in the in the return to play, you know, when when the youngsters really showed how good they can be. And and I and listen, you, you can believe in young players, but you need to see signs of it, right? And I don't question that they believed in them, but they saw signs. And so that now, when Mark went and looked and said, okay, he's watching the playoffs, he's watching Tampa Bay, he's watched the the St. Louis Blues the year before, he's watched the Washington Capitals. I mean, Mark's got a very strong resume of playing and being involved in management in the league. And, you know, so now you start to look and go, okay, and, and let's keep in mind, he had Sherrod, he had Weber, he had Peach. He went and traded for Joel Edmondson to try to, uh, knowing they had Romanoff coming, he, he was trying to take some of the pressure off those three guys and not push Romanoff into situations because it's hard. He goes and gets Josh Anderson, which I think was a, a, a different look on the right wing that, that really, really helped that team. So, you know, you're always trying to build because you got to balance those out. You need regular season success, but that has to carry over into the playoffs. And I think, I don't think there's any question that Mark looked at his team and said, okay, this is what can give us a better chance for success in the playoffs. And that's coming off of some really good signs from the return to play against Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And so now you, you give that, you give the group some more support and, you know, now it, it doesn't just rely on Brandon Gallagher. Now he's got Toffoli to help him out. Now he's got Josh Anderson to help out in a little way, in a different way, right? And, and let's not forget, too, that, you know, Jonathan Drouin, who, who, who's away from the team right now, you know, uh, 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 Jonathan Drouin playing really well adds more skill to this team as well, right? So they're doing this without Jonathan Drouin. And, you know, you look at it and you look at the challenges and the demands of the playoffs, they're real. They're real. You don't get as much time. You don't get as much space. And, you know, you, you, you take going forward, it'll be 16 teams out. 
Didn't you, didn't you eliminate eight? Now you're down to four. These are good teams. And if you're not built to withstand the challenges that those teams are going to put on you, you're, you're not going to have success. So I think with Mark Bergevin, I think it was clear what he was trying to do. And, and, and again, like, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. The Tampa Bay Lightning are a really good regular season team. And the Vegas Golden Knights of Colorado, but Colorado loses Kadri, they lose Eric Johnson. Well, that's enough to tip the scales in, in, in favor of, of, of your opponent. I think with Montreal, you know, this is, this is, and I think establishing your game. And I think that that's what Montreal did. You know, you know, not that they didn't know what they could be, because we see, we saw signs of it, but they established it. And they just said, we're going to root in here. You know, I know Bob Gainey talked to the Canadians, uh, you know, after their series uh, win against Winnipeg. But I know Bob in 1991 when he was coaching our team with the Minnesota North Stars. You know, that was a team that came out of nowhere, went to the Stanley Cup final. But if you go back and look at what Bob established with that team, okay, here's what we're good at. Here's what we need to do. And here's how we got to carry it forth. I think that's what he emphasized with that. That's what I would anticipate he emphasized with this group. And that's what they've done. And I think that the strengths that Mark, the strengths of the team are reflected in Mark Bergevin's moves. Sticking to Mark Bergevin and kind of the uh, team management as a whole, the Canadians are now in the semifinals and they didn't go out and go after a big fish. They didn't give up on their future. They didn't go and trade their draft picks. They didn't go trade any prospects. And the Canadians have been building their prospect pool up throughout the years. And they've had uh, multiple years with multiple draft picks. How important is that? Well, it's, it, it's important for a lot of different reasons because, you know, you, you got salary cap considerations, right? And you, and you need young players to come in and, and, and play at, 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 on an entry-level contract that can contribute. So, you know, it's not only drafting the right players, it's also being patient with their development and, and allowing them to come in, not, not before they're ready to contribute, but when they're ready to contribute. And, you know, that becomes really significant. But, you know, when you look at your team and, you know, we talk about Philip Deneau, we talk about Brandon Gallagher, we talk about Shea Weber, you know, a Ben Sherratt, like these are all good players, but they can't do it all on their own. And they're not, they're not the, they're not as young and as capable as they were, you know, in some cases, five years ago, in some cases, three years ago. So to have young players that come in with an enthusiasm and, 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 and an ability to play and contribute, you know, those young, those older players, and I'm, I'm not trying to call Brendan Gallagher old or Philip, you know, old, but those older players now know, okay, we can do what we're capable of. And the younger players don't have to do more than they're capable of. So it all works like hand in hand, like a, like you put, putting your hand in a glove. So, you know, if, if you don't have those young players, you know, you're not going to get them anywhere, but in the draft, or if you're going to start trading to try to get a whole bunch of, uh, uh, if you're going to rebuild and you're going to trade your older players for, for draft picks. So you got to balance it out. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at uh, where Montreal finds itself with its young players, I mean, Kaki and Emmy didn't start the playoffs. Caulfield didn't start the playoffs. Romanov's played one game and, you know, th they're all a huge part of the future for the Montreal Canadiens, like not a part of the future, a huge part of the future. And, and that becomes it. And, and there's some other really good prospects. I'm not taking out. I don't want to take out Suzuki because he's right in there too. Right. Like, you know, but you, you need, you need, it goes without saying you need good players, but you need to balance it out. You need to sink it. Older players 
that maybe aren't quite at the same level they were when a little bit younger, younger players who aren't quite where they're going to be when they're a little bit older. And everybody now can, can, can work to their strengths. And that's what makes a team better. And I think that's where, that's where Montreal finds itself right now. Speaking of the sum, the whole being better than the sum of its parts, um, how much of an impact is this confidence that the Canadians are now holding, that Price has given them, that they see in themselves? How much of that is an impact on what they can do going forward? I, I, listen, when, you, when, when you're trying to compete, and, and when I say trying to compete, when you're competing and you know that it's only about one thing, finding a way to win, and you're finding those ways to win, you know, it just builds a, a, a conviction. And, and not only your own individual contributions and your own individual ability to, to contribute, it, it also builds the, the overall team, what I call the esprit de corps. And when you have that esprit de corps and everybody looks around and everybody goes, okay, we know exactly what we're going to get from Eric Stahl. And Eric Stahl looks and goes, I know exactly what I'm going to get from Tyler Toffoli. And Shea Weber goes, okay, tonight we got uh, game one. We're going to be without Petrie. Right. So here's what we need from everybody. And those guys come in and, you know, say, here's how we're going to do it. I watched Daryl Sutter in 2004 with the Calgary Flames. They they ended up with a lot of injuries on the blue line. And one of the things Daryl is exceptional at is he he says, here's your game. Here's what I need from you. I'm not going to ask you to do more. Don't give me less. Right. And I think that's where Montreal finds themselves right now. You know, are you going to replace Jeff Petrie? No. But is your team going to capsize? It shouldn't. And I don't think they will. But it's everybody coming in with that understanding. Okay. Here, and, and, and there's security around you, right? Like, you know, when you look around and you, you got Carey Price in the net, and you know what Philip Deneau is going to do. And you know what Shea Weber is going to do. And, you know, you're, hey, game on, let's go. Right. And there is a security in that, too. It's not just a confidence. It's a security in knowing, hey, we weren't hanging on here. We were we we dictated the game and we pushed the game in our favor. And, and that becomes really significant for confidence building. Do you think Desharn did the right move by bringing the young guys in slowly instead of pushing them right into the uh, to the series? Well, I have to say in hindsight, yes. <laughs> yeah. But because, you know, I think like, you know, I, like, I, like I was looking at, at the beginning, I'm going like, I, I thought Kotke uh, and Amy Caulfield and Romanoff were good players that, that shouldn't be sitting on the sidelines. But I, I can tell you this, the coaches sit in that office and they debate a lot of different things. Right. And certainly, you know, you can look back and say, Oh, geez. Well, maybe if they would have had those guys in earlier, they wouldn't have found themselves down three, one. It's, it, you know what? It's all speculation. I don't know that, but you know, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, we're going to have opinion on uh, outside of the group and say what we think. Right. But ultimately the coaching staff is going through all the different scenarios and they know their group better than anybody else. And whether we agree with them or not, or whether they're right or they're not, you know, they're making those decisions with, uh, with a lot of information and a lot of time spent with those players. So, you know, and, and, and now you, now you find, now you see where the Canadians find themselves. It's hard to argue with Dominic Ducharme's position that, you know what, we're going to have an opportunity to put them in there. We just don't feel that opportunity is at the beginning. And, you know, certainly with Kotkin Emmy going in and Caulfield going in. And, you know, I have to imagine that Romanoff, and I, I got to say to you guys, I was, 
I've always been impressed with Alexander Romanov. I, I just, I, I love him. I, I like, you know, I'm, I'm unabashed in my love for us. But even when he talks about like, no, I just, I'm going to play. I'm just, yep, I'm just here for the team, right? And that, th- there's no BS there. That is real. He loves to play. He loves to be part of a team. And even in that game four, I went back and, and watched it again over. He didn't make a mistake in that game. He didn't play a lot, but that speaks volumes about what his potential is. And, and you know, you, you saw it over the course of the year, he, you know, whatever he's going to be asked to do, I can, I can say this with a real strong sense of confidence, whether it's eight minutes or 10 minutes or 12 minutes, he's going to give you the best eight, 10, 12 minutes of competitiveness and fire. And I, I think he's a smart player and I don't think he'll be overwhelmed either getting into a, into an environment where the stakes are a little bit higher. So uh, I, I think Dominic is, you, you, you have to say that he's uh, pushed all the right buttons here <laughs> And, and like, despite being down three, one, you know, his plan was, was what, what, what it was to do. He didn't want to be down three, one, but he found himself there, but they're, they're in a much better place than they were three weeks ago. Well, they, they went from three, one down to dominating. I thought they dominated Winnipeg in that entire series. Totally agree. Like, I, I don't think Winnipeg, I mean, none of the Winnipeg shot, Carey Price never had a really hard shot in that entire series. Really? Well, that's, it, it, and that's where we talk about keeping yeah. teams to the outside, right? So, like, and 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 Winnipeg's better at getting to the net than Vegas. So yeah. again, so this is what Vegas is going to be confronted with. And you know, like again, if if you want to give them those easy goals and those easy chances off the rush, off the turnovers, they have enough skill to make you pay. But Montreal didn't, and Winnipeg's a very talented team, very talented forwards, and. They were very good at not giving Winnipeg. And to your point, too, and I know that we, we go back, and I mentioned Shifley earlier, but Shifley had reached a point in that game one where, you know, he, he had a level of frustration going in the game, and, and, and it's, there, there's no excuse for uh, his play on Jake Evans. But why were, they, why were the players there on Winnipeg? It was because of what Montreal was doing. They came in there after, you know, winning game seven. They came right into Winnipeg with the attitude that like, oh, yeah, great. You swept Edmonton. They're different than us. <laughs> Deal with us. And they established it right like that. Right like that, they established how they were going to play. Winnipeg was never able to find their footing. Do you think the break Montreal's having is going to hurt them going into going into Vegas? Like, are they going to lose so, momentum here? It's it, it's such a. Uh, can we talk after game one? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why I say that though, because we hear the rust versus rest, in, in the, you know, all the time, right? So, Vegas Gold Knights win game seven, right, and against Minnesota, and they go into Colorado and get obliterated, right? Montreal wins game seven, and they go into Winnipeg against a rested team, and they take it to the Jets. So, uh, you know, I think it's different series. I, I'm a huge believer that rest is always helpful, you know, when the grind has been significant. We look down the stretch at how many games Montreal played. You know, there's also, a, a, you know, mental fatigue that goes into, come, you were down 3-1. You know, the, the pressure you put on yourself, you can't make a mistake, you can't make a mistake. We got to find a way to get through this. And, you know, so being able to get through four games and now be able to not just rest physically, but rest mentally and, 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 and get rejuvenated, I, I'm always going to take rest 
over over you know that. And I I think Montreal again back to the way they're playing. They know what their game is. They know what the strengths of their game is, and they know what they have to do to to get the to get the train uh, uh, back rolling again, uh, up to speed to what we've seen through the last seven games. Your thoughts on Max Pacioretty playing against his former team in the semifinals? Something that we wouldn't obviously have seen without uh, without uh, say COVID terms. Yeah, well, you're right. So the, the first thing I'm going to do, and you guys can answer this question after, but I'm going to pose the question first. And uh, I, I think it would be great if we get to a point now in the when we have four teams left, why don't we reseed them? Just reseed them. It doesn't matter what. So by the way, your thoughts, you can give me your answers after. But, uh, you know, I think that the, the opportunity for a Vegas-Montreal semifinal or or a Tampa Bay, Montreal, Stanley cup final, whatever. Like, like, I think these are great things for the game. And I think that like, instead of it being East West, anyway, just my thought that something came out of COVID. So, uh, you know, when we, when we, you know, when you start talking about, uh, uh, you know what? I want blank. <laughs> that's okay I was, worried, I was too worried about my question and not listening to you blaine what was the what was the question again no that was uh that was matt's question matt. oh was it matt matt sorry okay uh just 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 your, just your thoughts of, of uh max oh, patrick yeah, yeah patrick ready playing against yeah. his team yeah. <laughs> all you have to do is say 67 i would have got it right? no worries no worries <laughs> it's like an empty net goal yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he, you know, like Max has been a good player for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yes. When, when you go back to that trade too, and you know, it's never, I mean, n- nobody sits down and says, I'm going to go trade my captain. Right. But that's what he was, but he was in a different uh, contractual state and, and pending unrestricted free agent with it coming up. Right. And, you know, Mark Bergevin was looking at, at, at his team and trying to find different areas where he could strengthen it. And at that time, if we go back and look, okay, when that trade was made, Jesperi Kotkinemi, I, I don't think, I think the trade was made before Jesperi Kotkinemi uh, was drafted, if I, if I recall correctly. Am I, am I right there or was it after? It was just after. after. It was just after, right? Yeah. So, and I, you've heard me say this uh, with you guys. If you want to draft a, a, a top two line center, if you want to get a top two line center, you better draft them because you, you, you can't trade for them. They're almost impossible to trade for. So they draft Kotkinemi and then they go and get Suzuki. Now, those are projections. Don't get me wrong. But I think Mark was looking at his team in, in terms of salary cap and saying, okay, we're not going to be able to improve our team if we're giving this much money to Max Pacioretty. He's a left winger and a good one. Don't get me wrong. We're going to have to look at other areas. And, and I think Mark made a, a shift to trying to build his team in, in, in what I think is a very critical area that's center ice. So, you know, so, so that's my preamble. Max has been a good player for the Vegas Golden Knights. And he's been a player that uh, when, the, when the games become uh, a little bit more uh, uh, challenging, a little bit more serious, he, he's delivered for the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, if you ask uh, Kelly McCrimmon about uh, adding Max Pacioretty and signing him to a long-term contract or a longer-term contract, it wasn't real long-term, it was only a four-year extension, he's thrilled. But so is Mark Bergevin with uh, with the trade of Nick Suzuki, right? So, I mean, and, and, and it's, I don't want to dismiss Thomas Tatar out of this. I mean, I know he hasn't played, but he, he's, been a, he's been a good goal scorer for the Montreal Canadiens, and, and they may need him at some point in this series. But when you look at finding that centerman like Suzuki 
and certainly what the Vegas Golden Knights were looking for with more goals scoring and patch ready. You know, I think both teams have to be happy. And, you know, you know, we, we sit here and I, I think Max, you know, is determined to do everything he can to help the, uh, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights uh, beat the Montreal Canadiens. And I, I would say if we put the truth serum in them, that uh, if they do accomplish that, you'll have just a little bit measure, a little greater measure of, of, of happiness to be able to do it against the team that traded them, just like all players. But, you know, I think that, again, when you look at it, it's, uh, it, 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 it's a trade that's worked out tremendously well for both teams, for what they were both looking for at the time. That's, it's one of those uh, rare cases of a real win-win trade. Both teams got exactly what they wanted at the time they needed it. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know. I think maybe if the Canadians can pull off the win, maybe we can stop hearing the Max Pacioretty, Presti Holmes commercials out of Montreal. <laughs> Listen, you know, Max Pacioretty was, was drafted by the Canadians. He performed, performed really well for the Canadians, right? Mark Stone was drafted by the Ottawa Senators. He performed really well for the Ottawa Senators. They play on a different team now. And if, if there's anything I've learned, and uh, again, I'll go back to, 1993, the last time uh, the Canadians won a Stanley Cup, Bob Gainey, he traded Brian Bellows to the Montreal Canadiens. And Brian won a Stanley Cup. And it was, it, you're not trading Brian Bellows because you don't like Brian Bellows. You're trading Brian Bellows because you're looking at your team and you're saying, we need something different. We, we have some areas of our team that we need to, to, to bolster. And, 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 and that's what it comes down to. Brian was a second overall pick to the North Stars, scored 50, was good. And he goes to Montreal. But Bob wasn't worried about uh, Brian going to, to, to Montreal and certainly was thrilled for Montreal winning a Stanley Cup and happy for the players and Brian certainly. But his focus was on trying to do what he could for his team. And the Minnesota North Stars in this case. And I think that that's always the, always has to be the focus when you're a manager. It can't be about, oh, I'm not going to trade. And what happens if he comes back to haunt us? No, no, no. It's about what you're doing to help your own team be successful. And, you know, without belaboring the point, I think that that's exactly what both these general managers were able to do with that trade with Patcher Ready for Suzuki. And, you know, again, you know, Max was a, he was a good Montreal Canadian. But, you know, where they were headed, uh, you, you know, they weren't on a path where they could move along it together for, for different reasons. And, and that's not Montreal's fault. That's not Max Pacioretty's fault. That was just dealing with the, with the reality of the situation. Now, now we're going we're gonna to switch gears a little bit to predictions as we come near the end of the show. Um, the main prediction, this is the, <laughs> this is the big one here. If the Canadians can win the series... What national monument's going to be lit red, white, and blue after the series? <laughs> that is, well, we have the CN Tower. We have uh, Niagara Falls now, right? We're going to go, red, we gotta go straight to Parliament Hill, I guess. That's yeah. what I think. Where else yeah. can you go? If they're Canada's team, like, I mean, I think the Canadian flag comes down from Parliament Hill and the Canadian flag yeah. goes up there, doesn't it? Is that what goes up there? Really? I think that that's what should happen, right? I, I think that... Uh, you know, the Confederation Bridge and connecting New Brunswick and PEI will be now known as the Canadians Bridge, right? The Calgary Tower will be known as the Canadians Tower, you know, and we'll, we'll just, uh, and, and, you know, uh, Edmonton might rename their city the city of Montreal champions. <laughs> See, these are the kinds of predictions that we look for here. <laughs> these are the in-depth ones. <laughs> 
What about you, Treg? What do you what do you think? What what uh, national? I think we should just take the Rockies and put big strobe lights on them, red, white, and blue, and then that'll uh, that that'll do that. Hey, Treg, I'll tell you what. At Lake Louise in the winter, they do great ice sculptures, and it freezes over, right? And so. They could do that on Lake Louise. They could, uh, you know, one of the one of the most picturesque places in Canada. They could take that. You know, the forks of Winnipeg could become the forks of Canadians. Like, you know, <laughs> like you know, like I'm just I'm just trying to go right across the country and just name, name yeah. it all off, right? The Ambassador Bridge in Windsor and Detroit will become the Canadians Bridge, and you know, <laughs> just change the name Canada to Canadians. Yeah, there we go. Right? <laughs> Where are you from, Canadians? <laughs> I, I know I'm on the East Coast. I'm working on getting all the warships lit up red, there white, you blue. Go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Matt, what about you? I'd say I go far on hill. You got to go with the, the, the yeah. stable. That's what everyone thinks of when they think of the country, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm going to definitely have my flag up at, at work. You know, I'm, I'm in Ontario. There's a lot of Leaf fans around. And, uh, yeah, if I can get, a, if I can get a, uh, a Canadian's flag in the back of a Herc for a flight, I'll definitely do it. I'm sure. I'm sure you'd get some uh, support on that. You know, Absolutely. There's, there's Canadians fans all across the country. All you got to do is just tune into uh, Montreal Canadiens games when they travel, whether it be in Winnipeg or uh, Edmonton or Calgary or Vancouver. You know, the building becomes, you know, five, six thousand strong with Canadians fans, and it's, right. it's pretty neat. Yeah, the Habs fans do travel well. They do. They're loud. They're 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 in your face usually drunk at a game, but it's fun. <laughs> Let me tell you this. There will be a lot of Canadians fans at the game in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. We, we mentioned that on our last show too. Like a lot yeah. of Vegas oh, yeah. always gets a lot of Canadians fans when they play there. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, so it's not going to be lopsided in favor of uh, Vegas Golden Knights fans, you know, good friends of uh, good friends of ours uh, from Montreal. They live in San Diego now and their whole family's going uh, for them. And they were there. They were there for game set or game six, but they got their tickets for Montreal Vegas for games one and two, and they're thrilled. But you, don't be surprised. There'll be lots of Canadians fans in that crowd in Vegas. So the Vegas Golden Knights, whoever they want to talk about, they can talk about all the uh, how great their fans are and everything. Canadians fans will be buying up tickets in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, boys? You got anything? Uh, you got anything else you want to ask? I'm just going to get to the real predictions. <laughs> <laughs> Blaine, what do you say? What do you say for the series? I say it's going to be seven games. Oh, okay. I like that answer. <laughs> Matt? Do you know what? Since the since the playoffs have started, you know, the Leafs were a big favorite. The Jets were a favorite. I've stuck with the Canadians each time. I'm going to say Canadians in six. That That's my prediction, six. Craig, I know you're going to say someone who's going to win four games. No, no, no. <laughs> listen, listen I, I, after the way Montreal played against uh, Toronto, I, I, I thought they had a really good chance to beat Winnipeg. I thought it would be a competitive series. But, you know, you, you know Winnipeg, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, not only the loss of Shifley, but they got, they, they got beat by a better team. So, again, I, I try to look at the things that I think are really important to winning and to sustaining success. And I think Montreal has those things in place. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when I talk about Vegas, I think Vegas has some areas of vulnerability that Montreal can take advantage of. I really do. Now, again, 
Jeff Petrie is a significant part of this team. And you go deeper in the playoffs, it becomes harder and harder to overcome the loss of really, really good players. And, you know, that's just the, that, that's just the way it goes. But I think Montreal can win this series. I, I, I really don't have and, – and, you know, when I talk about 2012 L.A. Kings – the LA Kings kept going through the playoffs and people, oh yeah, well, it'll, their bubble will burst here. Their bubble never burst because they were not going to let their bubble burst. I feel that about the Montreal Canadiens. I, th- I think Montreal wins this in six or seven. Now, how important would it be for the NHL to have a Montreal-New York final? <laughs> I, I, you know, I hear a lot about Montreal-New York. I mean, obviously Montreal is a, is a huge traditional market. The, you know, we're talking about, you know, one of the greatest sporting franchises in, 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 of any sporting franchise in the world, right? Obviously the Islanders, you know, it's, I, I think if, uh, again, everybody talks about the New York Rangers, what the Islanders have done would be, would be tremendous, you know, to see them back in, this, in the Stanley Cup final, you know, long storied history there. But I, I, I think right now when you're looking at it, you know, Tampa Bay, Montreal, Vegas, Tampa. I mean, you got four teams that are uh, really good, uh, that are really that that are really playing well. And and I know we hear a lot. Oh, you want the big markets? No, what you want is is good teams. And if you have good teams that play really well and can be really entertaining, I I, I think that that trumps everything else. And if you can have the Chicago Blackhawks in it or the LA Kings in it or the New York Rangers or the Philadelphia Flyers or the Montreal Canadiens or Toronto. Yeah, it makes a, but you don't want anything less than the best teams playing. So I think that uh, a Montreal, New York Islander, I, I would just like to see what, if they could get more fans into the bell center. That's the, that to me would be really neat because you know, I know everybody talks about Vegas and I've been in all the buildings around the league. There is no better building for noise and for fan enthusiasm and fan passion than the Bell Center with the Montreal. They're not. And it starts an hour before the game, long before the warm-up starts, you know, and, and as the games become the rivalry games, the playoff games, the significance of the games grows. No, there's no, there's nothing better than Montreal. And I've been in them all. And I'm not trying to say that other buildings aren't loud or aren't good. None better than Montreal. Any last ideas or thoughts there, boys? I just want to say thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. We'll definitely have you back anytime you're available. And uh, thanks for, um, you know, getting us into your schedule today. It's much appreciated. No, well, you got me into your schedule too. I mean, uh, we're working at nights and everything, so not a problem. You guys, you guys are great. You guys uh, love your Canadians. You, you deliver to the fans who are so incredibly passionate. So for me to be even asked uh, to, to be part of it is always uh, a real honor for me. So thank you guys. You're very welcome. Trey? I'm just going to say I got a new article out for the Hockey Writers. Three Canadians and they need to step up in the Vegas series. Go to the Hockey Writers, read that. Who are they? <laughs> I have Josh Anderson. Yep, agreed. Brendan Gallagher and Cole Caulfield. Now Gallagher and Caulfield, not so much that they're playing badly, but if they can get the goal, if they can play their game and get the goal, like uh, Caulfield and start scoring goals, that's going to be a major step for the Montreal Canadiens and another problem for Vegas to deal with. And for Gallagher, I think on Mark Andre Fleury, he needs to get those dirty Gallagher goals to uh to beat flurry so 
The other two isn't so much that they're playing badly. It's so much if they can step up their game, it just gives Montreal that much more of an advantage. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, we talked about Josh, and I agree with yeah. you on the other two guys. And the other thing, when I was talking about Marc-Andre Fleury, see, a guy like Gallagher can be a, a, can be a terrific distraction because yeah. now you have to be so aware of him because on those second opportunities, Brendan's dogged, just like Marc-Andre's trying to get somewhere. Well, Brendan's trying to get to the same spot to try to get the puck in the net as Mark Nye. So I agree with you. I think that uh, Brendan can be a real, he can have a real impact in this series, specifically right what you talked about on Mark Andre Fleury. So, okay, now I don't have to go read the article. I agree with you. And, uh... <laughs> it's, it's, it's better off that way. It's better off. <laughs> But no, do you have an audio version, Trey? I do not. No. Okay. I'm only listening to podcasts and audio books now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you make that kind of money, you may as well, right? Yeah. (laughs) Read it to you. You guys, do you guys ever watch Seinfeld? Do you ever go back in Seinfeld lore? Do you remember when he was trying to get a book in in audio because he didn't want to read it, but it bothered him because the voice was his own? Yeah. (laughs) That would be, I don't like audio books, to be honest with you. I I like podcasts, but I'm not big on the audio books. I've tried them a few times. Don't interest me. (laughs) Yeah. I do prefer reading myself. Fall asleep a little bit easier that way. (laughs) But uh, no, Craig, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you doing this. I, I know, uh, Right from the start, you thought we were going to come and attack you about no, the start no. of the playoffs, but eh, we're we're more uh, we're more subtle that way. Just what I would tell you is this: is that, like I said about predictions, you can only be right or wrong. But I I said to Mitch Melnick on Montreal Radio, I said, okay, just tell me where I went wrong. Tell me where going into the playoffs that you really thought. He goes, well, I said, okay, how about after Game Four? goes wow yeah i said so <laughs> you know it's just again uh, i'm happy for the montreal canadians fans but they they really hadn't given me they've given me too many reasons not to believe in them well i'll tell you what they've done they've they've certainly flipped the script and they've given me a lot of reasons to believe in them now because the way they're playing that's what you need to do to have playoff success well i i hope to god that uh, we get to see more playoff success from, the, from that team because uh the longer they go the better it is that means my wife leaves me alone for a little bit longer the do list doesn't start until they're done <laughs> that's okay that that's yeah. a good arrangement <laughs> and uh and a charity that we're doing we're giving 25 dollars to the uh well you, you say blaine you you got you got the whole you're the, uh, the, Can- so. the Montreal canadians children's foundation yeah for every canadians win in the playoffs so that keeps growing. We get, we put more money in. And so that's what we're Oh, that's awesome. Well. Yeah. You know, and you know, you talk about the, 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 the children hospital and everything and how the Montreal Canadians have been connected with that for years, you know, mm. winning is always good. And uh, you know, it's not gonna, it's not going to take anything away from the involvement with the Montreal Canadians, but this just mm. another one that boosts it. So yeah, great to hear you guys. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And thank you very much, Craig, for, for giving us some of your time. We truly appreciate it. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. And remember, if you were talking about it, so are we. Do you have a problem getting big city slams? Are you not getting the gains at the gym? Well, don't mortgage your future on rental supplements. Get Bergy Arms. Bergy Arms will get you the gains you need. 
Furry Arms gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better characters so you can get the gains you need. Get Burgy Arms! Burgy Arms! Burgy Arms! Today! Not a real project. May make you trade your favorite player for a mountain man. Do not use if you're healthy, if you want it loyalty, buy a dog. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. 